0: Mitt Romney will give a long-awaited religion speech on Thursday. Will he reduce anxiety about his Mormonism or not? And can we, should we, kick the oil habit? Also, we'll discuss Darwinism with a producer of Ben Stein's upcoming movie, Expelled. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture.
1: Mr. Gorbachev,
2: tear down this wall. It's one small step for man, one
0: giant leap for mankind. December 7, 1941, a date which will live in infamy.
1: I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings
2: down will hear all of us soon.
1: We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail.
0: Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments, you may also email us at talk at com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson.
1: Ronald Reagan would have never raised taxes like Mike Huckabee did. Ronald Reagan would have never said, let's give tuition breaks to illegals like Mike Huckabee did. Ronald Reagan would have never stood by and pushed for a budget that more than doubled during his term as president.
3: Okay, that's Mitt Romney, former governor of Massachusetts, and he's going negative against Mike Huckabee. He's taking the gloves off. Why? Why is he doing this? Because Mike Huckabee is surging in the polls. Mike Huckabee is ahead in Iowa. Mike Huckabee is surging in the national polls. And Mitt Romney is pretty much plateaued right now. And he's got his own troubles, his own difficulties, and that is the nagging doubts about Mormonism. In fact. Mitt Romney is set this Thursday night to give a major speech on Mormonism and his run for office. Now, JFK came to the point when he was running for president, people were very critical of the idea of a Catholic running for president. Would he have to obey the Pope? Would he have to be loyal to the Vatican? And JFK had to give a speech Uh, to ministers in Houston, pretty much allaying fears that he'd be controlled by the Catholic hierarchy. Here's JFK.
1: But because I am a Catholic, and no Catholic has ever been elected president, the real issues in this campaign have been obscured.
3: Well, that's uh, JFK, and uh, he's frustrated because people are against him uh, because he was Catholic. Uh, Mike Huckabee has been uh, baited to attack Romney, more or less, on his Mormonism, but Huckabee is not taking the bait.
1: My goal in life is not to uh, evaluate what's wrong with your faith or somebody else's but it's to be able to live mine so that I remember that the greatest commandment is love my neighbor as myself.
3: Okay, that's Huckabee. He's not going to fall for that. But if he won't do it, I will. We're going to talk about Mormonism later in the program, the deity of Jesus Christ, the holy underwear, the extra Bibles, Jesus being the half-brother of Satan. And Mitt Romney, is uh, he's going to be asked this some point during the campaign. What does he believe? And uh, yes, there shouldn't be a religious test for president, but uh, what does it say about someone's... Uh, discernment that they believe these sorts of things. Will the American people find this acceptable? And we have exclusive Sound from Mitt Romney when he was interviewed right here on Jerry Johnson Live. We're going to get to that later in the program. Pen you know,
4: I'm wondering, Dr. Johnson, how much this Thursday speech is going to be about Mormonism and how much of it will just be about religious freedom because I think uh, Mitt Romney, it, it, you know, he's probably a little worried about talking about the real tenets of Mormonism. Well, uh, also, we have a very special uh, in-studio guest coming up in just a moment. But today we are also going to address the question, what does Saudi Arabia do with your gas money? By buying Saudi oil, are we indirectly funding the spread of radical Islam? We're going to talk about that later in the program. Also, Ben Stein's upcoming movie, Expelled, it's a documentary. It uh, it addresses the monopoly that Darwinism enjoys in classrooms across the country. We are going to interview the film's producer and ask him why intelligent design is the forbidden lesson.
3: All right, this show is about the Christian worldview. It's about being salt and light, one of the best ways... To uh, dispel the darkness is to shine the light. It's December. This is our first broadcast in the month of December, and we happen to be Southern Baptist here on this program, and it's a time when we always think about missions and missionaries, and today in the studio we have the opportunity to hear what God is doing on the mission field and to pray for a missionary who's given his life and um, for a people for a cause in another country, our guest is Dr. David Hatcher. He's pastor of the Chapada Baptist Church in Manaus, Brazil. He has lived in Brazil for 44 years. He grew up in Brazil, came to the states for his education, went back to Brazil. Uh, he's also served as president of the Lexington Baptist College in Lexington, Kentucky. And he holds the Ph.D. from the University of Texas. Dr. Hatcher, welcome to the
2: program. Good to be here, Jerry. Thank you for inviting me.
3: Now, a little disclaimer, you know, Criswell College, uh, we go on 10 or 12 mission trips a year, and uh, it was just this past summer that we took a a crew from Criswell College down to Manaus, Brazil, in the heart of the Amazon, uh, to work with you and your team there at the church. It was a real blessing. And I'm just wondering if in a few minutes here, David, if you could tell our listeners, you know, what church is like in Brazil, it certainly looks different than church in America, and really the different strategy God has given you to reach the people there in Brazil because there are different needs. The gospel is the same, but uh, the culture is different. Uh, just share your heart, and, and folks, as you're listening, I hope you'll be Praying even for the work as you hear David. You grew up in Brazil. I grew up. And there. this was
2: uh, your heart all along. Uh, this was, uh, well, I never planned to go back as a missionary and actually went back to be uh, uh, president of a, of a seminary. Uh, and uh, as, as, as time went on and we studied the scriptures and, and weren't, get, weren't getting the. Uh, I went back to work with my brother, who's a pastor of the other largest Baptist church in, in town. I worked uh, 18 years with him and then went to uh, pastor a, uh, a daughter church. Uh, and uh, now we 're sort of neck and neck uh, and so we, I went back to to be a professor and to to be president of this seminary and and help them in their education uh, objectives uh, but god God had sort of sort of brought me in to the pastor through the back door uh, well it 's an incredible work uh, How many folks are are worshiping
3: in your church on Sunday, and then also those missions that you 've started? Tell our folks about all of all of these missions.
2: We have uh, about fifteen hundred is our was our average this year, uh, and then of course in December we go way up because we have our special Christmas program for thirteen nights for thirteen presentations. We'll we'll run uh, about seven eight thousand uh, during that time. Uh, then the the outline we have ten ten outlying churches, and each will average somewhere between one hundred and fifty and two hundred. Uh, people in attendance, uh, not, not, not counting the, the children's work, which we really don't bring children into our, our central place. We have their their works in, in the neighborhoods. And this year we averaged 350 children every Saturday uh, and then another uh, 100 or so in, in, in our central uh, building who uh, are hearing the gospel every Saturday And then afternoon. God has
3: given you a vision uh, in a camp ministry. You're taking essentially inner-city children and youth out to these camps, and, what happens when you take them and out And we take
2: them out. And, of course, uh, uh, Brazilians love camping. That is just yeah. a, a favorite activity. And you get a chance when you get them away from all the noise. And, and if you've ever – well, you've been in Brazil, and Brazil is a very noisy place. Right. Uh, uh besides people liking their loud music and and loud TVs uh just dogs bark day and night uh and, and at my house of course we have parrots uh in the trees and and all kinds of other sounds and and frogs in your bedroom at night you know uh so uh I love it but you get the, get these kids out outside their environment into the into the jungle uh that's where our camp is is out in the middle of the jungle as you as you saw when you're down there with with uh, your students uh and just a chance for them to, 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 to in, in the middle of that nature that God created, uh, to, to, to feel a little silence and uh, not hear anything, and be able to, to focus on on things of eternal value, and be able to talk to them about their life, and and so the, the family, the family structure in in Brazil, of course, is very very weak, especially in the north uh northern brazil is is known in Brazil as the place where you if you 're from southern Brazil and you go to work in our industrial park there you you will lose your husband uh that that's that 's wow. known uh it's sixty sixty five percent of the children are born to unwed mothers and uh the family is sort of non-existent it 's sort of a house where people hang their hammocks or they, they go they sleep and so part of part of our goal is to to not only uh present them the gospel and and uh, show them how they can they can have Christ as their Lord and Savior, but to actually train them in character, we become sort of like uh, foster parents to them. And and we literally on on Father's and Mother's Day, my wife and I receive... how to do home, how to do how mom, to do how, home, how to do dad, how to, how to do work, uh, their ethics, the whole whole nine. And yards. another
3: tremendous outreach you've had through the years is uh, marriage seminars, teaching men and women uh, how to love one another and. Um, that's not something that's been emphasized in Brazil, and you draw people. Uh, oh,
2: it, it has been. That has been the greatest. Hundreds in, of people. That's been the greatest seminars. instrument that God has given us in the last uh, seven years. We've done these in in several big cities in Brazil. Our, our largest crowd was three thousand people down in a in a uh, auditorium that belongs to uh, actually, three thousand people a gen, for, for a marriage for seminar for a marriage seminar, and it has just. Uh, we've had we've had mayors offer to pay for our expenses to, to do this for their towns. Uh, it's, it's when, when people see that God's principles for for, for, for marriage work and we have, it's a very non-religious presentation, very humorous where, where the men aren't threatened. They come out and they're a little, little edgy. I saw one, 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 one time I was Jerry, I was down at, uh, near where my father lives and, and it's sort of a, a very rural area. And the men there are sort of macho, and, and uh, most of the men that were there were sort of forced by their women to be there. And I saw one man make three, three trips down to the bar and take some shots of whiskey to, to get enough courage to come in. Uh, but after, after, <laughs> after they, they, they come and see that it's non-threatening, and then we present these, these principles out of, out of the Scripture of how God wants marriage to be, and it works. Mm-hmm. It's not long after that we'll see them in our church. They'll come as seekers to find out how God's Word can, can, can work for other areas of their life, their children, their jobs, and, and other areas of their life.
3: You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. My guest is Dr. David Hatcher. He's pastor of the Chapada Baptist Church in Manaus, Brazil. And uh, it's a tremendous work reaching families, mothers, fathers, children, youth, Uh, starting new congregations. Also, I haven't even mentioned, Dr. Hatcher's Ph.D. is in linguistics, and he holds a language school right there in Manaus, ministering uh, to Brazilians who want to learn English. And then if you go on a mission trip down there, he'll have you in that language school giving your testimony to these people who want to learn English. So it's a fascinating experience for our students and for me, and I want to thank you for that, our folks Want, you want to pray for this man and for his wife, Penny. David and Penny are here, and uh, we're just so glad that you're here with us today, and we want to continue a partnership uh, with you from Criswell College. Look, you've been in that region over 40 years, raised in that region. You've been back now for many years. Uh, big story in the news today, Hugo Chavez, Venezuela, sitting on all of this oil, dominating the region. I want us to listen to a, a news report, really, about a, a stinging election defeat. For Chavez.
1: The result of the vote was a major change from other recent uh, elections in Venezuela. He won re-election last year with 63 percent of the vote and in nearly nine years in office he has consistently defeated the opposition at the polls.
3: Okay, I understand the vote was 51 to 49 percent, very close. Uh, this would have allowed him to have a sort of perpetual dictatorship, more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your assessment of the situation there with Chavez? He's not friendly to the United States.
2: No, well, he's actually, of course, very, very closely aligned uh, with Fidel Castro and. And uh, what he would like to see, he would like to see the dictatorships all over Latin America again, and that's that's what he's really uh, he's he's been in all the countries uh, financing them uh, through through his oil programs to get them to to support him, and and uh, of course he and the president of Bolivia and then the the, the new president of Ecuador, uh, we've seen this, this. What about Brazil though? Tell well, us about that. Well, uh, when when our pre- current president uh, was elected uh, two terms ago. Uh, he's finishing out his term uh, very soon. He uh, uh, he was very friendly to Hugo Chavez, but uh, there's been some some bad blood between them uh, recently, and and part of it was uh, uh, President Lula's uh, uh, proximity to Bush after that visit here and his good words between him and the, and their good visit. Our relations are on the men, really, yeah, with Brazil and. Yeah. They really are, and and Hugo Chavez, of course, then then called him a puppet uh, uh, of Bushes, and, and uh, so that really uh, really made him irate, and and the, uh, the Brazilian Senate and, and We'll
3: finish uh, that thought when we come right back. It's Terry Johnson live from Crystal College? We'll be right back.
0: Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's criswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. To imprison Gillian Gibbons was completely unacceptable, and there's been outrage around the world.
3: All right, that's British Prime Minister Gordon Brown. He's talking about the teacher whose students named the teddy bear Mohammed. Of course, she was sentenced to 40 lashes, but then uh, expelled from the country. But uh, there were hundreds and hundreds of people rioting, mobbing in the street with scimitars, wanting to cut her head off, wanting to kill her. Well, these Islamo-fascists, they're the evildoers that we hear the president and others talk about. And we're going to talk in a few minutes about um, what Saudi Arabia and what some of these other countries in the Middle East are doing with the oil profits. What are they doing? Are they spreading this philosophy of Sharia law and intolerance? And uh, it's not just the Saudis who have oil money. It's uh, people like Hugo Chavez in Venezuela. Our guest right now, just finishing up, is Dr. David Atcher. He's pastor of Chapada Baptist Church in Manaus, Brazil. He holds the Ph.D. in Linguistics from the University of Texas. Um, Dr. Hatcher, um, you had started telling us really about Brazil and really a strategic reconnection between the United States and Brazil. Lula's been up here to visit. President Bush has been down there to visit. And Chavez, who is trying to control all the South American leaders, is called your president down there. A puppet of Bush, and uh, tell us what uh, Lula is saying,
2: though. Well, uh, actually, and one of the problems Lula has, he actually has a strong socialist background, and uh, probably would be there. There is discussion right now. There's probably going to be a referendum sometime after the beginning of the year uh, to to see if he can run a third term. But I'm uh, at this. He's a very popular president because he's mm. he, he's from the poor he has a fifth right. grade education and uh, you know he's sort of uh, every man's dream you know f- can't read and write that he, maybe he can become president and so uh, because of that uh, he, he has a strong tendency to align himself with men like Ugo but uh, I think by God's grace uh, this this bad blood sort of came up because of this 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 uh, these uh, this visit with with Bush and 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 uh, the good words that were, were spread there Uh and I think that one, one of the one of the uh, one interesting things, Brazil is very strong in, in in its oil industry. Also, it's actually self sufficient now, uh, and the the basin that that Venezuela has one of their big basins of, of oil is actually shared with the Amazon. In the Amazon, Amazon has sort of been preserved because of all the uh, international. Uh, 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 outcry, you know, against the uh, save the, the rainforest, preserve and, everything. Yes, but uh, he just recently he he told Hugo Chavez said if if he didn't quit giving him trouble and and uh, start easing up, he was going to uh, go down into the same basin and he was going to suck it out with his straw front through the Amazon. So uh, <laughs> they're already getting the gas off of that, and so uh, uh, maybe, maybe maybe that will slow Hugo down. Actually, Brazil at this point, uh, mo- most Brazilians just feel he's a he's a nut. Yeah.
3: Well, it would be nice to have a good counterbalance down mm-hmm. there in terms of power, and perhaps Brazil mm-hmm. is the right, the right country in the right time. Dr. David Hatcher, pastor of Chapada Baptist Church in Manaus, Brazil, we want to thank you for being with us. Thank you thank for you, taking Jerry. the Criswell College students on mission. And I want to encourage you folks to be praying for this church, its ministry, and its mission. Uh, we hope to have you back soon.
2: Thank you.
4: Well, next up uh, we are going to ask the question, how does Saudi Arabia and OPEC use American money to fund the spread of radical Islam, and what can we do to uh, stop it? Our guest is the author of a new book entitled Energy Victory, Win the War on Terror by Breaking Free of Oil. He is Robert Zubrin, Ph.D. He's president of Pioneer Astronautics, which is an aerospace engineering firm. He holds nine U.S. patents and uh, he has spoken on this issue on several television networks. Uh, Dr. Zubrin, thank you so much for being with us.
5: Thanks for inviting me.
4: Uh, what is the answer to this question? How uh, does OPEC, and especially Saudi Arabia, use the money they make off of oil to spread Islam? Um,
5: well, uh, they, uh, Saudis have spent uh, hundreds of billions of dollars in oil revenues to set up a network of over 20,000 madrasas. Around the world, not counting those in Saudi Arabia, um, that teach um, young boys that the way to go to paradise is to kill Christians, Jews, Hindus, Buddhists, uh, basically anybody uh, but them. And um, they they've set up over a thousand in Pakistan alone. That's how they created the Taliban. Um, they have a whole network of front organizations, a whole alphabet soup. I, I go through it mm. in the book, Energy Victory, through a number of these organizations, how they're funded, how they were involved in setting up terrorism in Algeria or Afghanistan or nine eleven, or Indonesia, uh, you know, Biafra, the Sudan. What about um, in the United States? Well, um, they, they certainly have set up uh, over 100 of these things here in the United States, but of course also the 9-11 um, uh, perpetrators are, are graduates of this uh, indoctrination program, the foreign fighters that are attacking our troops in, Af- in uh, Iraq, um, most of them are Saudis themselves. The rest are Arabs from other countries who have been indoctrinated by this uh, 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 program, and it's all being funded by the oil revenue. It's. It, you know, in, in 1972, the United States paid four billion dollars for imported oil. Last year we paid 260 billion, and the Saudi revenues have gone up ex- almost exactly to match, from 2.7 billion to 200 billion last year. Um, we, we, in, in 1972, the amount we paid for oil imports was equal to one percent of our defense budget. Last year it was half, and we're giving that money to the enemy. We're funding both sides in the war on terror practically
4: with equal amounts. All right. Dr. Robert Zubrin is with us. And Dr. Zubrin, we've been talking for decades about energy independence, and we haven't really achieved it. We haven't even made much progress towards uh, towards achieving it. You hear some presidential candidates talking about this as a goal, and also Congress is talking about an energy bill right now. So, what are the policy prescriptions? What would you say would be the best way to break ourselves free from this OPEC oil?
5: Okay. We have the weapon in our hands to do it right now, okay? It's What Congress needs to do, and this is not what they're talking about doing, what they're talking about doing is almost irrelevant, raising mileage standards, not going to do anything, what they need to do is pass a law mandating that all new cars sold in the United States must be flex fuel that is able to run on either alcohol or gasoline. These kinds of cars already exist. Detroit's putting out 24 models of them this year, but they're only 2% of the
4: market. We need to mandate that all new cars have to be flex-fueled, including the foreign cars. That's the key thing. Isn't that a recipe for destroying our auto industry if we, if we have such a mandate to, uh, no, all no, at once? It, it, no. In fact, it will help the auto industry a great deal because what it will
5: do... Okay, let, first of all, let me talk about the, what it will do to the price of fuel, then I'll explain how it will help the auto industry a lot. Um, the, the, what it will do is... Break the vertical monopoly that the oil cartel has on vehicle fuel supply. These cars, within three years of such a mandate, you'd have 50 million cars on the road in the United States, hundreds of millions overseas, capable of running on either alcohol or gasoline as the consumer chooses. That will force gasoline to compete against alcohol. Everywhere in the world, it will force the price of oil right back down to fifty dollars a barrel. It'll it'll cut the OPEC revenues in half. Let alone what it would cut it compared to what they will do, which is raise it to two hundred dollars a barrel if Hugo Chavez has his way. Now, how will this help the auto industry? Okay. First of all, high fuel prices are bad for motoring. This will stop a runaway on fuel prices. Second of all. The U.S. automakers actually have an advantage in flex-fuel technology against their foreign competition. Um, This would actually play into their strong suit. Thirdly, um, it would give people a reason to buy new cars. You know, right now...
4: But aren't these cars going to be more expensive than the cars that are out there now?
5: uh, Not much. Uh, A flex-fuel car only costs about $100 more than the same car in non-flex-fuel form. I'm not talking about hybrids here. They cost much more than regular cars. Mm -hmm. Flex-fuel cars... Um the only difference between the What's question- the difference? Okay is the programming of the electronic fuel injection uh, injector, in other words, a software dis- uh, difference, and the materials that the fuel line is made out of. It's a trivial difference, but it makes all the difference because it allows the car to run on either alcohol like ethanol or methanol, which we can make here from agricultural crops.
4: All right, or- but let me ask another question about ethanol because I've been reading a lot about how much energy it takes to make ethanol and how it's raising the price of food, for instance, especially corn. Well, actually most of the price of uh increase of food that's been
5: going on is due to increased demand from China and India. That's why the price of fish is going up and the price of all kinds of other crops than corn have been growing up and go, going up as well. The uh, um, and as far as the argument that it takes more energy to make the ethanol than the ethanol you get, that's false. That has been refuted in the scientific literature, and the re- uh, relevant citations are quoted in the book Energy Victory. It's just it's okay. just. Okay. Well, it argument.
4: sounds fascinating. I have one more question about oil. Uh, what about, as a combination with the strategy you're recommending, uh, lifting some of the restrictions on drilling in the United States so that, because it just seems like uh, it would be very difficult to drastically make this change with the population. I mean people you know especially if the economy is sort of uh, getting a little bit uh, a little bit of a, a downturn, people may not be buying new cars that quickly. Well, so what about uh, what about uh, American oil? Um,
5: well the, the, it, it doesn't help that we have these restrictions on uh, drilling for more oil, so I, I'm with you there. On the other hand, you should understand something. Right now, only 4% of the world's oil reserves are in North America. 71% are in the Arab countries. At current rates of consumption, by the year 2020, only 1% will be in North America, and 85% Mm. will be in the Arab countries. In other words, we're having our reserves drawn out faster than theirs. If we keep playing this game in their strong suit, we're going to lose. Okay? So, yes, we need to be able to play our oil cards when we need to, but it's not the answer because um, we only have so much of, uh, of it left, and we need to change the game from one in which they have all the cards to one in which we have all the cards. And if you change... the the cars so that they can run on alcohols and these you know methanol can be made from coal and we have enough coal in this country to power the place for 250 years at least
4: wow i've got to jump in because we are uh, on a hard break but this is fascinating and i imagine there is a lot more great information in this book energy victory Uh, dr robert zubern has been with us dr zubern thank you so much for joining us today
5: thank you and they can also find out more about the book at energyvictory.net
4: that's energyvictory.net. Uh, next up, we are going to talk about Intelligent Design versus Darwinism, Ben Stein's new movie.
0: You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications.
1: I believe in an America where the separation of church and state is absolute where no Catholic prelate would tell the president, should he be Catholic, how to act, and no Protestant minister would tell his parishioners for whom to vote.
4: All right. uh, That is JFK, and uh, it's the kind of thing that Mitt Romney is going to be doing on Thursday. He has decided that he should address the issue of his Mormon faith, probably because he is now in second place rather than first place in Iowa, and he's kind of worried about his position there. And uh, so he is going to do something uh, sort of a la the model of JFK, which uh, in 1960, he talked about his Catholic faith, and he talked about how it would and would not inform his presidency. He said the Pope would not be dictating uh, his decisions. Uh, He assured Americans that he would not take those orders from the Pope, uh, but he also said that he would never violate his conscience. And if he did, he would step down from the presidency. I'm not sure if we'll hear about the exact specifics of Mormonism from Mitt Romney, uh, whether he'll say that uh, Christianity and Mormonism are different from one another. I think it's going to go more along the lines of uh, religious freedom. And uh, so it'll be interesting, and we'll will certainly be watching it. We're going to be addressing this issue a little bit later in the program. Uh, but right now, uh, we want to welcome to the microphone a guest who's been on the program before to talk about a movie that's upcoming, actually a documentary starring actor and comedian Ben Stein, and it points up a very important issue uh, about academic freedom and uh, really the idea that intelligent design is sort of taboo in the public schools and on the university campus. Our guest is Mark Mathis. He is a consultant, author, speaker, and documentary film producer. He has produced this movie, Expelled. And Mark, thank you for joining us.
6: Thank you, Penn. I'm a pleasure to be here.
4: You know, the question uh, that I have, since we are broadcasting from Texas, is why is a school like Baylor University so afraid of including intelligent design in its curriculum. Why would you say?
6: Uh, I would tell you that in this particular case, and I've been to Baylor uh, to to ask them about this, uh, but I think it comes down to money. Um, In academia today, if you uh, are a university and you allow any professors to discuss intelligent design theory as a legitimate scientific proposition, then you are uh, in the eyes of many in the science community, you're downgraded as a research institution, and, which, and therefore it will make it difficult for you to get research funding, and a lot of these universities pull in some very significant dollars in research funding.
4: Now I know in this movie, Expelled, uh, the character that Ben Stein plays uh, goes across the country and he runs into all these professors, and it's the same story across the country?
6: Absolutely. It's, um, no matter where you go, in the academic institutions today, you know, it's really more has the more of a feel like a China or a Venezuela or a Cuba, uh, you know, where you're told to accept what they define as truth, uh, or else, you know, scientists cannot question the idea that we're all here as a result of some dumb luck and uh, random, unguided process, or they're branded as intellectual terrorists. If you question neo-Darwinism, uh, you are a cyst that must be surgically removed. Mm.
4: Oh, this is true in elementary schools, too, isn't it?
6: Oh, it's, it's true at all levels. Um, you know, this, our uh, film, Expelled No Intelligence Allowed, focuses on the university side because that's where a lot of your uh, serious research and scientific investigation takes place.
3: You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. We're talking to Mark Mathis. He's producer for the film Expelled. No intelligence allowed. Mark, I'd like to go back to some of these specific cases. Could you just talk to us about the case at uh, George Mason or Iowa State University?
6: Well, at George Mason, you have a a university professor, Caroline Crocker, uh, who is a very brilliant woman who graduated early from high school, uh, had uh, went through the university system at a very young age uh, 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 went to school at Oxford and was teaching biology at George Mason and uh, she made the mistake of uh, including a couple of slides in a presentation in a freshman biology class uh, that, that said that there was another theory called intelligent design now she didn't advocate it, she didn't teach it, she just <laughs> mentioned it and uh, the students even said that they couldn't tell which side of the issue she, she was on for simply mentioning it, uh, her contract was not renewed, and she is no longer a teacher in the university system.
3: So this is a de facto gag order. It's uh, it's the opposite, really, of academic freedom. It's the reverse of the Scopes trial. I mean, for Scopes, back then it was illegal to mention evolution, more or less, or to teach evolution. All you had was creation, and, of course, Scopes challenged that law and taught evolution or mentioned it. And But now the law pretty much is you, can, you must teach evolution, and you can't mention not just creation, but uh, something as vague as intelligent design.
6: Absolutely. Uh, the pendulum has swung all the way to the other side, so that you cannot even introduce the idea, which is intelligent design, a minimal commitment that says very simply, intelligence, can be detected, design can be detected in the universe. That's it. It doesn't stipulate who the designer is, what the designer's purpose was. There's no religion involved. It just says scientifically, empirically, we can see design in the universe.
3: Mark, what's the funniest thing about this film?
6: (laughs) Well, I'd say Ben Stein is the funniest (laughs) thing. It's a very serious topic, and there are going to be points in the film when you see it that are going to shock you. Uh, um, you, there are going to be points in the film that are going to make you mad uh, and, then, and then many points where you're just going to laugh because you, you can't deal with a topic that's this serious and just have it be intense the entire time so Ben Stein uh, is, is the perfect catalyst for this film because he, he's, he's funny uh, when he wants to be funny but he's also funny when he doesn't even realize he's being funny uh, so he, he actually is the thing that's going to be most entertaining about the film
4: Mark, this sounds like it's going to be an influential movie if a lot of people see it. So would you tell us quickly before we let you go, uh, when's it coming out, and how are you mar- uh, marketing it, and can listeners be of help in that?
6: Well, we're slated to uh, have a na- nationwide cinematic release in February. Uh, so we're going to be across the country in, in, th- in theaters everywhere. So where listeners can help out is to simply spread the word, say that you know that there is a Finally, there's a film out there that's going to uh, discuss this issue from the side of intelligent design, and we've got a, a top-rate um, Hollywood person to do it. It's a very uh, compelling, interesting, funny film. I think you learn more about it at expelledthemovie.com.
3: Expelledthemovie.com. Mark Mathis, thank you for being with us. We'll have you back again.
6: Great. Thanks for having me. All
3: right, folks, do you remember the name Francis Crick? Francis Crick, the co-discoverer of DNA with Watson. He won a Nobel Prize for that. And uh, he developed a theory later called directed panspermia. You say, what is that? Well, Crick became so convinced that the human genome, this is the co-discoverer of DNA, the human genome, he became so convinced that it was so sophisticated that it could not have evolved a la Darwinian evolution. Not by chance, not by time, not with just matter, and so he believed that something or someone had to send the genome to the Earth, had to send life, <laughs> and so sperm uh, directed panspermia. Well, obviously that's sort of a convoluted theory that something was sent here, but uh, it's it's interesting that this man believes that the complexity of human life is such that. It could not have arisen by chance. That's the fundamental argument of the intelligent design movement. Now, later in the program, we're going to talk about the theology of incarnation. We're going to look at a scripture in the next segment that I think connects very nicely to this theme. What does the birth of Jesus Christ have to do with intelligent design? You'll just have to wait about ten minutes to find out. But let's talk about religion, faith, and the presidency. We've mentioned today that Huckabee and Romney are beginning to duke it out. Why? Huckabee is surging and threatening Romney's front-runner status in Iowa. Huckabee is already ahead of him there. He's on the cover of USA Today. He is the darling of the talk shows right now. And uh, this is his moment in the sun And Romney's feeling threatened. And so um, here we have uh, Huckabee uh, refusing, really, to uh, criticize Romney and his faith. Mitt
1: Romney has to answer that. Nobody can answer for another person, for you, for me. Uh, We all have to personally answer for uh, what our faith is. And whether we uh, call ourselves a Christian or if we call ourselves Jewish or Muslim...
3: Okay, so Romney's set to give that big speech on Thursday night where he explains uh, how a Mormon could run for president. And we had Mitt Romney on the program last, oh, several months ago, and John Clements interviewed him here on this program. And here is uh, Mitt Romney's first answer when asked about his faith and the presidency.
1: You know, I don't know that it's a plus or, or a negative in the long term. I get a lot of questions uh, from folks, particularly in the media, about uh, what impact they think uh, my faith will have. But what I find as I talk to people, evangelical Christians and others, is that they very badly want a person of faith to lead the country. They don't care so much about the brand of faith as they do about the values of the person. And as people get to know me and my wife of 38 years and our five sons and, and their wives... They recognize that the values we have are as American, you'll find anywhere in this country. So, you know, I think uh, think it's probably going to be a non-issue as time goes on.
3: A non-issue. He was wrong about that because he's going to make (laughs) make a speech this Thursday night. And uh, I want to talk about why Romney and JFK are more of a contrast than a comparison, because you cannot compare JFK's Catholicism with Romney's Mormonism Uh, you cannot compare it it's a different in kind and uh, we're going to talk about that what's so different about Catholicism and Mormonism and where Romney could really be in for some tough sledding we're going to do that when we come back we're going to hear more from Mitt Romney It's Jerry Johnson Live exclusive interview right when we come back
0: That's criswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications.
1: In the final analysis, what makes a, a great leader of this country is not somebody who's got the right check mark in every issue box, but instead... Who is the person who has the kind of character and love of the country to inspire the nation and to make sure that we finally get off the dime and deal with some of the tough issues we face?
3: All right, that's Mitt Romney. He's running for president. He doesn't want a checkbox on religion in terms of who you vote for as president. And he's giving a major speech on Thursday night really defending um, a Mormon running for president. And that's who he is, and that's what he is, and that's what he wants to be. We're going to talk about that in just a minute and hear some more sound from him. But I want to remind you that um, this is a huge week here on Jerry Johnson Live. Tomorrow night, we'll have Bob Knight on to talk about this new movie, The Golden Compass. It's going to be released this week, Penna. And this movie and these books have an atheism agenda for children. We're going to talk about that. In fact, we're inaugurating a new award tomorrow ...called the Grinch Scrooge Award. And we're going to keep this going up till Christmas. We've got special theme music on the way. It'll be a surprise every day who's going to get this award. But I think the Golden Compass might uh, actually be good candidates for that tomorrow. And if you want to send candidates uh, to us by email or by phone, you just do that. Because there are a lot of schools out there and restaurants and businesses that uh, don't have the Christmas spirit. They Mm -hmm. want to keep Christ out of Christmas. And our theme at KCBI has been, let's put Christ back into Christmas. But this movie being released in the holiday season, the Christmas holiday season, it's really an outrage that they would try to do this. We'll also be talking to Ted Baer and Brent Bozell. So we're going to have people all week long to talk about this phenomenon. It's sort of an in-your-face, atheistic move. At Christmas time.
4: You know, I noticed an ad with a picture for this movie, and it was so reminiscent of the Chronicles of Narnia and the picture uh, of uh, the, a young child and uh, oh, yeah. a large animal <laughs> like Aslan in those Chronicles of Narnia movies, <laughs> The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, that was so successful. And, uh, you know, we've said before on this program that this movie uh, has basically tried to capitalize on the success of of the um, Narnia movie. And so that is why we are taking so much time on this program and on KCBI to really inform people what this is all about, because this could be sort of a uh, a dangerous movie, I think, if people weren't uh, ready for it, prepared for it.
3: Okay, so let's go back to uh, Mitt Romney, and he is a Mormon, he's running for president, and he's going to give this speech on Thursday night. I want to go back to a couple things he said here on Jerry Johnson Live. He's talking about his stand on family values and issues.
1: I'm also a staunch defender of traditional marriage between a man and a woman. I do not favor gay marriage or civil union. I also am not in favor of Uh, embryonic cloning for stem cell purposes. And and so my positions on these social issues uh, do line up pretty well uh, with uh, with conservative Christians, and I I expect that I'll get good support from that community.
3: All right, he expects to get good support from conservative Christians, he said. So he's standing up for marriage. Here he is on human life.
1: I believe American values include hard work and respect for education, love of opportunity, willingness to take risk, but also respect for God, love of faith, love of family, and respect for human life.
3: All right, Penna, these are code words. Human life, the family. He's talking about marriage. Mm -hmm. He's talking about abortion. Do you think uh, this is going to work?
4: Well, he has gotten uh, support from some Christian leaders. For instance, Mark DeMoss, uh, Paul Weyrich, Bob Jones. Uh, So he he has convinced some people that because he has got money and he's running so well uh, that they should get behind him because he's right on the positions. But he doesn't have... Support of, you know, all the Christians uh, He's got a lot of people worried about his Mormonism And I think this surge of Mike Huckabee has got him worried And so that's why he is making so a speech on, on Thursday So he's going on the attack
3: against Huckabee And doing
4: the Mormon speech mm-hmm. this week And he's getting pretty aggressive You know,
3: down in North Carolina he said in a speech I believe in God, I believe in Jesus Christ And I've got to tell you that's not going to work For evangelical Christians Because he's using the same vocabulary But if you know anything about Mormonism, they're using a different dictionary. When he says, I believe in God, Mormons believe that God is evolving. What God is today, someday you will be. That is Mormonism. Um, What you are today, God once was. That is Mormonism, an evolving God. Mm. He says, I believe in Jesus Christ uh, Mormons believe that Jesus Christ is a created being, a lesser God. He's not a, as high-ranking as the Father in his deity or God stuff. And so, yes, the holy underwear are weird. Uh, Joseph Smith was a fraud, and Brigham Young thought that black people were on the moon. I mean, there, there's not a very good track record for Mormonism. You need to get this book, Under the Banner of Heaven, by Krakauer, who wrote the Everest book and the... Uh, uh, into the wild book crack um, is the best secular expose of mormonism and it's it's chilling to read this and book. wasn't
4: there a recent movie made about it
3: uh i'm not sure about I that I think there was but in any case i'm speaking now as a christian and as a theologian to tell you that uh, what what romney's going to have to do is say something like this look mormonism is not christianity what I believe about God is not what you believe about God. What I believe about Jesus is different than what you believe about Jesus. What we share is not our theology, our religion. What we share are values. Values. That
4: would be honest. And that on would be life
3: and on marriage. And on that basis, Christians could then decide um, whether it's a choice between someone who says they share their theology but doesn't share their values, maybe a Baptist who's or a Methodist like Hillary Clinton, or someone who doesn't share their theology but does share their values. That would be a decision you have to make. But Romney needs to clarify that decision. Because uh, I'm looking at a scripture here that relates really to the entire uh, theme we've been talking about, intelligent design and Mormonism. Mm. And it's John 1 and Christmas. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is back before creation. It is about the coexistence, the preexistence of the second person of the Trinity with the Father. In beginning was the Word. The Word was facing God, pros-God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The Son of God has eternally coexisted with the Father for all eternity past. Mormonism does not believe that. The text goes on to say, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the incarnation, and that's Christmas. And I think it's very interesting that we talked about intelligent design today because you have in this passage the idea of the notion that the Creator is a creator of communication, of intelligence. The Word, the Word. All things were made by Him. And without Him was nothing made that was made. In Him was life. Life didn't come out of the goo. Life came from the Word, the creative Word of God. When you look at a human being or even the human genome, you know this didn't just jump out of the slime with a lot of time and chance, but a creative being created it all. That's the second person of the Trinity. He was there in the beginning. Jesus Christ. Christ, the Son of God. This is Jerry Johnson Live with Penned Join us tomorrow.
0: You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian Worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.